Shamari, welcome back to the H-Hour podcast. Sponsoring the podcast today are Rugby for Heroes. They've got an event very soon. It's on the 26th of June. That rhymed. I didn't intend it to. They've got an event on the 26th of June. You need to be there. Uh, Rugby for Heroes, they fundraise for military charities. They're a not-for-profit who fundraise for military charities and military people who need support. They've been doing it for over 10 years, and they were formed in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whitaker. Since they formed, they've raised over £110,000 for military charities. They've been a huge influence on my life and they've been a huge influence on other people's lives. They're an incredible organisation. Like I said, they've got an event on the 26th of August. Uh, God, August, not 26th. They've got an event on the 26th of June. It is free to attend, okay? It's going to be a beer and gin festival with rugby as well. You've got the Forces Barbarians are playing Old Lemontonians RFC, Nomads. And you've also got a whole host of activities and festivities going on. It's going to be live music. It's going to be food. There's going to be... Uh, there's going to be some military stands there, um, like veteran-owned stands there. It's free to attend. Like, get on to Eventbrite. So you'll find it by just searching for the Rugby for Heroes, Rugby for Heroes Festival on Eventbrite, right? Or you can go to Rugby for Heroes uh, on their social media. So on Instagram and Twitter, it's at Rugby for Heroes. Uh, rugby, F-O-R. No, Rugby number four heroes. And the website is RugbyForHeroes.org. Okay, so if you're looking for Rugby for Heroes on social media, use the number four. Get your tickets at the event, right? I'll see you at the event, okay? Hopefully, I'll be playing for the Forces Barbarians. There's two teams There's two teams being fielded. One team is playing Old Devontonians RFC, and the other team is playing the Pacific Islanders Rugby Club, okay? Incredible, incredible day it's going to be, and all being, uh, all being put together by Rugby Heroes. I'll see you there. Thank you, Rugby Heroes. Also sponsoring the podcast today are the Development Society. They're a community of people who want to be better than they were yesterday. They're more than just a clothing company. They truly are a community of like-minded people looking to improve. From merchandise where you have to earn it, not simply buy it. In, in fact, you would have seen one of my recent podcast guests and a good friend, Gavin Tuak, when he was on the podcast. Oh, what number was that? Is it around about 129, I think? one th- or 131, maybe. Anyway, he was wearing a DevSock t-shirt. Uh, pink flamingo on the left breast, but he had to complete a workout to be able to get access to that T-shirt, which he did, which is why he's wearing a T-shirt with pride, I should add. Um, so yeah, you, you don't just simply buy this stuff, you have to earn it. They've also got weekly Zoom yoga sessions. They are the best kind of people you can find. They're hard workers, right? And their community is open to all who want to improve. And we all want to improve. So get in a community. If you want to get involved, which you should do, join their infamous Daily Waves newsletter, which you can sign up to on the website. And this Slack community. You get an email every day with cracking advice and tips for workouts and tips for life. And you also get to network with people on the, on the Slack community, the DevSlock, DevSlock, the DevSlack, DevSock Slack community. Get amongst it. They're also active on Instagram and Facebook as at the Development Society. Um, but to get more of an understanding about the philosophy philosophies, you should visit the Development Society.co. UK. Also sponsoring the podcast today with the Aardvark Group. The Aardvark Group operate in the humanitarian, critical defence, security and commercial sectors in the Middle East, Africa, Asia, Europe and the Americas. And Aardvark is widely regarded as the most effective landmine clearing system in the world. They also provide advanced systems for the management and protection of territories, borders, assets and people for a global customer base. Their solution incorporates risk management, satellite and UAV imagery for situational awareness, safe systems for the identification and destruction of landmines and the remnants of war, and standoff explosive detection technologies. 
Following their acquisition in August 2017, the new management has sought to develop and expand the company's offerings with systems and solutions that complement the company's highly regarded status. One such enhancement is the addition of advanced drone surveillance technologies, providing the company with market-leading situational awareness for mine clearance, counter-terrorism, border security and asset protection operations. They've been responsible for neutralising hundreds of thousands of landmines and unexploded ordnance devices, saving innumerable lives around the globe over a very noble 35-year history. They also have a shop on their, on their website, a newly formed shop actually, where they sell, uh, they sell trauma kits, individual first aid kits, stuff that you would like to, you, you would need and do need when you're working in these kind of, uh, these kind of environments. The, there is a discount code I can give you, which is H-H-O-U-R, H-O-U-R, H-O-U-R without the hyphen, H-H-O-U-R, and I'll get you 10% at checkout. And you also, when you buy stuff from them, the trauma packs, you get a free patch, you get a free Arbor patch. I've actually got one in the studio wall, it's pretty funky. Um, so yeah, aardvark.group is the website, and they're on all social media to search for the Aardvark group. Easy peasy. On to the podcast, my guest today is Neil Halsworth. Neil Halsworth is ex-Royal Army Medical Corps, then he got out to become oh, his, so his spouse is also serving which she is serving now and when he left she was still serving he became basically a housewife like a, a stay-at-home husband and in the process uh he set up explorer coffees he's the founder and director of explorer coffees i enjoyed this chat he's a good guy this is the hr podcast my name is Hugh Kia, and my guest today is neil hallsworth enjoy Just yeah, the mic's fine. I'm just conscious of big bear bear men like you. Well, not bear. The last person came. Last person to start ragging that about like you were then was Jack Marshman. He he broke it. I won't touch it. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to the studio, Neil. Absolute pleasure to have you. This is this is again starting again because the camera wasn't right. Yeah. My technical inadequacies. Welcome, mate. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the thank you for the Coca Cola diabetes in the can. Appreciate Ab- it. Absolutely. Like I said, you don't get a figure like this through hard work. Um, ex-military, business owner, right? Correct. Uh, business manager, executive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's, but can, let's steer away from the title entrepreneur because I don't <laughs> think I am. I don't think I qualify. How was the right? How how we found the pandemic? Like positive, a positive experience or negative experience for personally, and answer that without any guilt whatsoever. And I ask because I found it generally a positive, generally for myself, a positive experience. Um, for me, positive. It was just, it, it didn't make a vast amount of difference. It was just a change of routine. Okay. Um, which, having been a house husband since two thousand and eight, was manageable because it's all about establishing a routine and sort of that's how that's how you determine how your life from a business perspective covid has uh, absolutely propelled the business through the roof interesting good i'm glad like uh, as bad as it is for the businesses that haven't done well at all or even don't exist anymore there's there is positive in it and and some businesses have like you said done well uh, why what's chick go on brief me up it I was going to say, for, for me, it's, it's very simple. It is, and I can trace 
back on the computer and I can go back to the, the sales charts and you go back to March the 16th when the Prime Minister said, if you can work from home, please do so. And we had a huge spike in sales because everyone went, well, if I'm staying at home, fine. Uh, I'm going to buy myself some nice coffee and I'm going to work from home. Thank you very much. Order started flying in. You're like, going, okay, that's cool. And then the following week, which was March the 23rd, and it was, right, lockdown, you are now to stay at home. And again, we had a double the effect of the week before. And when you look in back over the period as a whole, you then get to our sales increased by 160% in three months, which from a growth perspective is absolutely fantastic. It isn't that great? And again, the, the thing is, you, I haven't crowed about it because I understand that the people who've gone through the hardship, people who've lost their businesses, people who can't trade, who can't operate, who really had to think on their feet to try and survive, and I'm going, actually, I'm doing really well about this, but I can't shout about it because that's not the done thing. But as an overall, for the business, it's gone really well. For me personally, it was same old, same old. Uh, the coincidence we had from a family perspective was my wife uh, had had been medically discharged at board, but hadn't been discharged from service. And so she took on a voluntary role with the Association of Royal Navy Officers, uh, acting as their operations manager. <coughs> and her transition was, you are going to be working from home. So she, the week, and it was, I think it was the 16th, she was in London, in the office at Arno headquarters. She was working for the day. The Prime Minister's briefing was that night. And it was a case of, you go home, we'll send you a laptop, and then you will work from home. So the transition and the change of routine of having her working at home and having the children at home, because obviously school's closed, was like a massive change of routine. And once we got into a routine, we were fine. And that was just, and now life can carry on. We had a few bumps and scrapes along the way, in the way that children throw up bumps and scrapes along the way. Uh, my little lad, whose name is Hugh, uh, was, uh, was probably the, the best example of that when we hit the Easter holidays. And we're like going, Hugh, you don't have to go to school anymore. And we'd got them really greatly, uh, really well set up in the dining room. So both him and his sister were sort of sat. And you'd say, right, you work from 9 o'clock till 10, and then you'll have a half-hour break, and then you'll work from then till then, and then you'll have your lunch, and then you'll have a, another session, then you'll have a break. And the routine was perfect, worked per perfectly well. We got to Easter. We said, that's all right, Hugh, you don't have to go to school anymore. He's like, yeah, cool. And he just slobbed on the sofa watching YouTube for three days. But he got bored. And when he gets bored, he does not naughty things, just stupid things. And we're like, going, right, but this can't go on. So we're like, going, right, sorry, son, you're going back to school. <laughs> um, the school was really good. They'd, they'd thrown out a whole list of stuff, you know, just a range of activities. It was almost stuff to say, just here's stuff to do, just to keep you occupied. And so we just went back to the school routine and went, there you go, nine o'clock, school, hour and a half, break, half, hour and a half, break, lunch. Got him back in that routine, it was absolutely fine. And yeah, that was it all the way through until the kids went back to school. In, he didn't go back until September. So it was perfectly fine. Oh yeah, we used it off over the summer and stuff like that. But 
but yeah, that was COVID. COVID's been not too bad. It's been a bit stranger the second time round with the Christmas tier four lockdown and the Christmas post Christmas lockdown. That's been stranger because it wasn't the same as previous, and people are trying to adapt, so things are changing. How's it been for you in your work? Is that what you mean? Sorry, what do you mean? It was why is it stranger? Um, I don't know. It was just things weren't the same as they were during that first session through till summer. And we had, and we unlocked and we did things and got shouted out for going to the beach and all that kind of stuff. But when the Christmas lockdown came on, there was almost like a different feel to it. And therefore things operated slightly differently. The schools operated differently. By this time, uh, my eldest, Charlotte, um, their stuff with school, they were doing a lot more lessons by Zoom or by Teams or whichever software package that they've got, which they weren't doing in the summer. They were just saying, here's work, get on with it, and we'll have once a week, twice a week, we'll have face-to-face -face via whatever. This time round, it was, you're on Zoom, here's your English lesson, here's your math lesson, here's your chemistry lesson, kind of thing. So that changed, and she ended up having to... We took her out of the dining room. She was then in her bedroom on her computer. So he was in the dining room on his own or wherever. So there was a, there was a change of feel. There was a change of mood. Uh, from business-wise, um, that was a bit odd because the sales went a bit haywire. And when you talk to other people in the sales environment and they were saying it was almost like a return to a traditional post-Christmas lull, sales falling off, turn around at the start of March, start picking up as you start heading towards Easter. And it literally followed that curve. You're like, going, okay, that's sort of to be expected. That's fine. And then we got through Easter, and when you would have thought that that summer trade will then pick up, and it, it didn't, April went downhill again, and, we, and nobody knows why. There was no particular reason. You're like, uh, okay, so just have to work harder at doing other bits and pieces to try and chase up sales. But, but overall, COVID's not been too bad. Yeah, good. Glad to hear it, mate. Glad to hear it. Yeah, it was... I, didn't, I don't think I did notice any, um, any significant change over Christmas for me, but then I'm... You know, I'm I'm not in I'm not in the game like you are like what you do. I you know, I've got a day job where I'm a project manager. So, and the business I'm in, it it, it was and the sorry the, the the part of the business I'm in was largely untouched. Hmm. Uh, not the same for other parts of the business. You know, we got an aviation department who deal in you know we're a satcoms company in Marsat. We got an aviation department, and one is you know. So you go on a plane, there's Wi-Fi that's, that's, that's providing that, you know. And when there's no planes flying, yeah. <laughs> it's not very good. Uh, especially for a business that relies on aviation, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, again, I was, I was quite lucky. I'm so, I'm, so bu I'm so busy. I'm always so busy with stuff. I didn't really know. I don't really notice what's going on around me in terms of patterns of life and things like that. So I didn't really notice any change from my perspective. But anyway, going off that, what's it like being a pad's wife? It's been very entertaining. <laughs> um, it, it, it's not, I mean, like we were saying just before the interview started, is it, you know, house husbands are not common uh, in, in any walk of life. Just, uh, sorry, do the favor, pull that microphone just uh, across. Yeah, there we go. Yep. Yep. Um, house husbands are not common in civic structure anyway. You know, it's still a, an evolving change of, you know, who's going to, who's going to be the breadwinner, who's going to stay at home and be the caregiver kind of thing. That's something, it's evolutionary. So house husbands, there's not a lot of. Uh, and within the military, even fewer. Um, and if I go back to 
2008 and you think about how I ended up there and you sort of, like, you sort of the numbers sort of become apparent. So I, uh, my wife got posted to PGHQ in 2008 and we moved not far. We were at RAF Holton. Kay was working at uh, Defence Dental Headquarters and I was working as a lecturer at West Hearts College. The move from Wendover to Watford, which is where I was working, you know, we were only talking 20 miles. Childcare went from £465 a month to £1,000 a month. And when we totaled it up, my wages as a FE lecturer, I would have been working for £10 a week. Oh, my God. What, what were you lecturing in, sorry? Uh, public services. Okay. Um, a great, great department of predominantly ex-forces, one ex-prison officer, uh, a Thames Valley police special, and one <coughs> professional PhD uh, lecturer who, who's ne who'd only ever done politics and history uh, at university. So uh, she was our big educational professional within the department. Uh, it was, you know, it wasn't a badly paid job or anything like that. But when you worked it all out, we got to, you know, as I said, ten pound a week. By the time we took out childcare, travel, car, food, all that kind of stuff, you know, it was ridiculous. We're like, okay, we're, we're we're faced with a real decision here. Fine. The pragmatic thing is, Kay had a great career ahead of her. She needed the freedom to do whatever the job required. And PGHQ being one of those places where. You could go anywhere at any time, or you're going to be routinely visiting units and whatever. And she was working in um, clinical assurance. And this was in the, the early days of what you would now know as the Care Quality Commission. Um, and she was doing that kind of job for the military. So once a month, she would go away. She would go to Afghanistan. She would go to Iraq. She would go to Diego Garcia. She would go to the Falklands. She would go to Cyprus. She would go to Gibraltar. She would go to Germany. All over. The only way that she could do that would be if I was at home with our, at the time, one child, which was Charlotte. And so we're like, okay, well, if I'm only working for £10 a week, we're not losing anything, I might as well become a stay-at-home dad. And so that's what we did. Charlotte was two and a half. I stayed at home, and the idea was we would do it for that job because we knew that that, that job was going to be fairly high tempo for her. And then once Charlotte started at school full-time, I would then look at, something else for me to do that would put me back into the employment sector. As it happened, two things changed. Uh, one, Kay fell pregnant with you. And two, we then got the, if you said, the posting that we didn't want, which was to Portsmouth, because that took me away from the option that I wanted to pursue, which was to go to university, go back to my roots as a combat med tech, qualify as a paramedic and therefore if I qualified as a paramedic irrespective of where we got posted in the world I could always be employed so if you're in the UK I could go and work on uh, agency paramedics if we were abroad I could work abroad with uh, local or I could work for the MOD because there was invariably they would snap your hand off to go yeah I'm a qualified paramedic do you want someone to do this yes so it was one of those that's what I was going to do but Hugh came along 
So it's like, okay, well, there we go. There's another five years of me staying at home and watching Teletubbies. I'm good with that. <laughs> We're fine. Um, and so it was only when Hugh started school full-time that we then turn around and go, right, okay, I now need to revisit that, but we're five years down the line. Uh, the paramedic, me going to university was probably unachievable financially. So, uh, okay, how else, what else can we do? Well, I'll look at a part-time job. So I got a part-time job because at the end of the day, the kids are still at school. I've still got to walk them back and to school. I wouldn't be able to get a job that would pay enough to pay for wraparound childcare so I needed a part-time job. Got a part-time job in the coffee industry. And that led us on. To Explorer. Led us on to Explorer Coffees. But it was that step okay. to go from, right, both children are in full-time education, now I need to do something. Yeah, no, I need to... Am I? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm not going to break it. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I don't think. What was it like? What was that like for, for at first being at home all the time? Did you struggle with any like boredom or or, or or anything like that? I mean, I couldn't. I don't think I would really struggle doing that. Yeah, having said that, with a caveat, you know, it's probably a uh, it's probably something that a lot of parents, a lot of dads, a lot of mums would would love to be able to do if they can't is to be at home all of the time with the kids. Yeah, um, it was a change. Uh, and you suddenly go from being in a working environment where you're talking to people all day long, you are having conversations, it might be about the weather, it might be about, I mean, at the time, like I said, I'd just been working in education, so you're talking about teaching, you were talking about teaching packages, you were talking about trips, you are talking about students. You had that constant chat all day long. You then went to an environment where the only person you've got with you is a two-and-a-half-year-old who you are not going to engage in conversation with. You know, as, as highly intelligent as my children are, they're not going to debate the politics of the then Labour government and how it impacts on local green policies in the same way that you would be talking with another adult. So you go through this thing, you go, okay, right, fine. I'm on my own, I'm with a two-and-a-half-year-old. And, a half year old. and the, I've got to say, you know, both of my children, really, really good. They didn't need me to occupy them. They didn't need me to play with them all day, to engage with them and to, we'd do stuff, but it, they didn't need, they, they were quite happy to amuse themselves really well. Therefore, I could get on and I could do the housework, I would do the washing, I'd do the ironing, I'd do the cleaning, I'd do the gardening, all that kind of stuff. But what you do find is, one, it is incredibly lonely because you haven't got someone to talk to. The only person you get to talk to on that daily basis is your spouse when they walk back through the door. And they've just had a horrific day at work and they want to sit down, put the feet up, have a glass of wine, and you're like going, well, I'm really bored, so I'm going to talk at you for two hours. And like, <laughs> so my wife's like, Neil, just go away. Okay. Um, so there was that. So you get into the whole social segment of being part of the patch and this is the bit i can see the look in your face because here, here it comes here comes mums and tots here comes coffee mornings here comes pudding parties and all that sort of glorious stuff and it, and yeah you you do you, you do 
you may say it before you had if you before you've had children you oh I'm, I'm never going to do that I'm no no you because you need it and you need it to happen and you get into that routine and you get into that lifestyle I mean I very much understand the you know, ladies who lunch I understand where that's coming from and I understand the need for it because that's your adult contact time and I can understand why people want to do it I thoroughly enjoyed coffee mornings coffee mornings were good fun but I was the only bloke there mums and tots was fine because the kids could just be kids and go bananas and you like going it's not in my house if they get played out the walls I don't care they can feed themselves cake carrot sticks yogurt crack on doesn't matter we're all good they're enjoying themselves I'm sat at the side talking to another grown-up about the color of pants choice in Tesco's are you a small talker though are you a small talker I can do well you have to well now you can yeah because you've been <laughs> been a pad's wife for God now yeah like, but, but but could uh, you do it before I yeah. like for me I don't I yeah. think I don't I, I would not I, I would not cope well in that environment you know, I, you know I, what? I could turn around and say, I think I might have to say thank you to Sandhurst. Because Sandhurst does give you that whole ability to talk to absolutely <laughs> anybody and everybody and to put them at ease and talk to them about stuff that's relevant to them. So actually, yeah, I, I was fine. And the other one that I used to get in those early days, because I was ex-service and a lot of the other wives weren't, is if they didn't understand what was going on, they didn't understand what was happening and they would talk to me because I walk the walk, talk the talk. So mm. you could turn around and go, oh, no, 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 it's fine, yeah. Right, husband's got to go to Afghanistan. Right, okay, well, he's going out to do this job. Well, it'll, it'll be like this, and it'll be like this, and this will happen, and it'll, it'll be fine, you know, you, know, rest re you know, reassurance and all that kind of stuff. But it was explaining it in ways that they understood, mm. which perhaps their partners might not have told them. Well, they just say, yeah, I'm going to Afghanistan six months, bye. <laughs> um, so that, that, that was, so I, I was at a bit of an advantage there. Uh, and therefore, I probably didn't go through a lot of the problems that young married military couples go through. Um, when, you know, here's your sweetheart from university and Darren's joined the Royal Navy and Julie is a, an estate agent and they get married and they end up in a patch and then he goes to sea for nine months and she's like, what's going, what, what do I do now? Kind of thing. And I never had to go through that because I was former serving. I was absolutely fine. He's like, okay, yeah, Kay's going away, yes. And? Are you, are you, well, Neil, are you, are you going to be all right on your own? Yeah, <laughs> I'll be fine. Oh, but how are you going to be with Charlotte? Well, she's my daughter. I, you know, I've, I've raised her for two and a half so, years so far. I think I'll be all right. Because that's the, the, the other good one. Absolute classic. And you know, Kay goes out. Oh, is Neil babysitting? Well, he's not babysitting. He's parenting. He's his child. <laughs> Get that. That's a that's a very common one. Um, so yeah, that was that first tour at uh, Northwood. That was that was my introduction to being a pad's wife kind of thing. Yeah. And then we moved to Portsmouth, which was a complete culture change. Why is that? Um, right. I was going to say it depends. How much contact have you had with the senior service? Oh God. <clears throat> right, I have to be careful. Yeah. I've got good friends now who are in the senior service. <laughs> Shout out to Simon Piles and Gavin Tuak. Right? Yeah. But, um, oh, yeah, they both are. Uh, my first 
my first interaction with the Royal Navy was in the Falkland Islands in 2002. I was only, I was just a young Tom in three para. We went out there and we, we it was for the 20th anniversary. We were out there on the Roman Infantry Company. Yeah. I was going to say tour then. Absolutely was not a tour. It was four months of hard graft, get me wrong. And then, but also that was time because 20 years after, you know, the Falklands War, first, first official power edge deployment there 20 years later. So we went to get ready for some ceremonial stuff in Port Stanley and we were chucked into a hangar with everyone who's going to be on that on that ceremony, which included Royal Navy and RAF. And I could not, I couldn't believe how how sorry Simon and Gav, I couldn't believe how much how so f- much different they were from the army and us, and how they just they just appeared to me like civvies, and they appeared to me like children. Now again, in fact, you know what? I'm gonna, I, that's not they. It was one. I'll rephrase it. It was one. I was. I was. I was focused on one sailor who was just winding me up because he was acting like a kid. The reality is, it's just a different culture. Like yeah. I know that, but at the time, I was going, "What on earth? Get these people away from me now!" <laughs> Bear in mind, I'd only been in for about two years, a year and a half. I, you know, I, I was a young, yeah. a young lad myself. But um, it was just so different. Yeah. It was so different. It was my first experience of wow. We are all vastly, vastly different. different. Yeah. Vastly different. Again, I'm going. I just want to. I want to. I want to say again. I have the utmost respect for the senior service, especially Gavin Tuak and Simon Piles. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've I've got the almost because I married a member of the senior service, so I I, I think I've I've sort of earned me my place. Um, mine was from that military. In the military, I was fine. I'd got introduced because the medical services are tri, have been tri service for a very long time. And let's go back to. 1998, SDSR 98, and when everything sort of came into that blend. And the medical services were already ahead ahead of the curve. So they were very much used to speaking to the Navy, the RAF, and no problem at all. As a house husband, the cultural change for me that was massive was moving to Portsmouth. Now, obviously, I've been Aldershot. I've been Colchester. I am used to Catterick, Tidworth, Bulford. I'm used to the big army garrison. I'm used to the garrison way of life. Even though up until that point, I hadn't been a pad. I understood it because I was part of it, whether I was a junior soldier and you were doing security patrols of the pad, so you know, or you'd be invited around someone's house for a barbecue. When I was a junior officer, it was that welfare and pastoral piece of going to see you know, you know, Private Jones and his wife are having problems. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, don't come in the office. I'll come round to your house and we'll have a sit in the chat and we'll see what you do. You know, that kind of piece. So you, you, you're used to how that military family works. Portsmouth was complete alien culture because you go there and the Navy has a an independence you are taught from a very, very early part of your military career to be independent of, that's the base, that's where you work. You are, you don't get a lot with thingy with single soldiers accommodation, because you're living on ship or you're living on, uh, in, in bunks. So you're encouraged to go and buy your own house. You're encouraged at 18, 19, 20, go and buy a house, go and buy a flat, go and have your own place. Because then if you go away for nine months, you come back, you've still got a house. And so you go off the patch in Aldershot, say, 
and you go down to Portsmouth and you're expecting patch life to be the same and it isn't nobody talks to each other or they do but in a very different way so it moved into the patch and you're like going you know knock on people's hi we're neil k small children dog broken land rovers cool here we are and people are going hello welcome thank you bye and that, and there was the, the social cohesion wasn't there we thought this is weird and then Kay's like, I go, no, 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 this is, that's just, people just live independent lives. They don't get involved. Oh, okay. So we had a street party. You organised one? Yeah. <laughs> of course we did. <laughs> uh, but what we did, we didn't just invite, the, so where we live is really, we're in a little odd patch. So it's not like a big, you know, thousand house patch, sort of Falklands Park or Aldershot or, the, you know, uh, the back end of Colchester. We've got 20 houses and we've got 60 civvy houses, the majority of which are owned by serving or retired naval personnel. So it's a very military orientated place, but there is only 20 houses. So, right, we'll have a patch uh, party. And it was the, what is the Royal Wedding? Um, William. William, yeah. So we had this patch party and we invited all these people and we literally, so we invited everyone who was in the military houses and we invited all the civvy houses from just over the road from us down and then whatever military people that we knew up the street we said, yeah, come on down. Uh, one of the things that turned out, so there was two families who lived four doors away from each other who had gone through basic training together who had never spoken to each other and they'd lived there for six years but didn't realise that he lived six doors away, four doors away from him. That's the, the sort of independent nature. They, they just did not talk to each other. The other one was the civvies from across the road, and we're still friends with them now because we moved. The, we, uh, because we moved away and then moved back to the same, virtually the same place. And they came to the party, and they went, this is great. Okay, we should really do this more often. Well, you know, we hope so. And that's, you know, it's all been very convivial and lots of alcohol's been drinking. I'm not dancing naked on the garage roof yet but you know give it a couple of hours i will be i went no 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 this is really cool we've lived here for 25 years and it's the first time that anyone from the military houses have spoken to us we're like you're joking like, so the, literally the road was a dividing line and the people in the military houses did not speak to the people on the opposite side of the road why do you think that's like that why do you think that's so different what's the reason I, well i was gonna say i think it's because people are encouraged to have this independent lifestyle the flip i was going to say the flip but, but side why is that but, but why what what i don't know is there something to be gained from not having that and having the cohesion is that just because of a difference between the cultures of the other needs and the cultures of the, of the army compared to the navy and i'm going to guess that the raf would be the same as the way the navy is um know. yeah you're breaking that microphone again aren't you? i'm flipping, not going to break flipping it flipping grizzly bear in the studio Go on. i'm a gentle person um no because we do we've done a tour we've done two years at uh, raf halton and for me, RF Halton, yeah, it was very, it was small, but it was still very garrison-like, and everyone talked to each other. And you had families happy hour, and you had uh, street parties, and stuff like, you know, uh, safari suppers. Have you ever done a safari supper? Never heard of it. <gasps> right, okay, so safari supper. Sounds you, like a game, mate. It's not, it's really good fun. So it, it's almost a bit like, it's like a, a different version of Come Dine With Me. So <laughs> Definitely gay. Go on. <laughs> It, so you turn around and say, it doesn't matter how many households you have. So, right, so you and your missus are coming for starters. No offence to gay people. 
Sorry. Yeah. You and your missus are coming to Martin Kay's house, for starter, along with Bob and Claire from number 22. And you come to us for starters. And then for Maine, you go to uh, Simon and Catherine's, and we're going down there to Bob and Carol's, and they're... And you sort of go around. So you have different courses of the meal in different people's houses. So you then get to chat and meet. And you start off at one house for drinks. Then you all go to different people's houses for starters. Then you go to different people's houses with two other couples for main course. Then you go to a different house with two other different couples again for desserts. And then you finish up at one person's house, patio, barbecue, garden, house, depending on the weather kind of thing for drinks and then that just carries on until whenever everyone goes to bed but it's a a good way of having ev- where you can instead of you had a party of 40 people and you might only talk to one or two people all night you literally do talk and have social life interaction with everybody and then you all come back together for just mass drinking at the end it, it re- as a social activity it's really good i know it sounds no, almost, it's yeah. almost keys in glass jar cut but it's not it's just <laughs> i wasn't thinking that I, for the look on your face, <laughs> says different. <laughs> but it, it's a very social activity, and it's great fun. And it means that you get to know everybody, and you understand them. And it doesn't—you don't have to be a great chef. You could, you know, here's a here's a cake I bought from M&S. We're not judging you on your cooking ability. We just go—we're actually there for the social bit to actually say, actually, I've never met him. Did you know that? Did you know that she is a? Uh, an accountant who works in Wendover. Did you know that he is working on the test team that's developing the Tempest fighter, but he's working out of RAF Strike Command? And you get to know the people. You get to know what they do because there's only six of you at a time. So it's not like you're in a mess or something like that where you've got hundreds of people around you and you only ever talk to one or two people. It's a really good social activity. So we did all this. And yet you get to Portsmouth. It's like, nope, none of that. Right, where's Mums and Tots then? You know, I've got Hugh. Hugh, Hugh was born, what was it, four, four weeks after we arrived in Portsmouth. Uh, I see, okay, right, I'll, I'll go to Mums and Tots. Go to Mums and Tots. Well, there's the bits of Portsmouth, instead of all being in one place, you've got that patch over there, that patch over there, that patch there, that patch there, that patch there, this little patch here, we're on a little pitch there. And you've got all these disparate bits, so you never actually get all the people in one place. Uh, and you've got to remember, you've got Portsmouth on one side of the harbour, Gosport on the other side of the harbour, with HMS Sultan, HMS Collingwood, Dryad up at the top. So you've got all these different component parts that were almost like five, six separate little garrisons that actually don't talk to each other, but even though it's all one conglomerate, it's Portsmouth base area. So, yeah, that was, a, a, for me, was a massive culture shock. It was really, really, really hard, especially then being a house husband where there was just me. I was, I was the only bloke in the village, kind of thing. Mm. The flip side of it, and here's, here's the good one, we, we did two years in uh, Gosport. Kay was at uh, Institute of Naval Medicine, and we got, uh, she got posted to Gibraltar. And you go to Gibraltar, and there are two patches. Uh, one is, if you said, the officer's patch at Four Corners. The other is the other ranks patch down at Europa. Um, but it's uh, Four Corners is, is a little bit of an oddity, because it's a gated community. Um, so it's very limited access. Uh, and it, in some respects, it's not very big. Uh, 
want to say 60, 70 houses at the time, I think. In fact, if, if it was that many, I'm not sure. Um, so it was, quite, it was quite easy to do those kind of activities there. Worked really well. Patch barbecues there were a monthly occasion. Hey, because you buy the Mediterranean, it's sunny weather, barbecue, everyone out around the back, tunes on. Somebody had put a big screen TV out of the window with the ground floor flat onto the thing so you could watch the football on BFPS and all this stuff. It was cool. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. The interesting thing there was, for me, that was going back to that garrison life where you would walk down around the patch, you knew everybody. Uh, and it's a, Gibraltar's a very social place, so there's a big amount of official social functions that happen. Um, civic ceremonies, events in the mess, uh, events at the base, sports activities, all that. So there's a lot of stuff going on, so, and it's a very compressed community. So for me, it's like, yeah, that's like being back in Colchester. This is cool. I you know, absolutely loved it. The flip side then was when you got uh, Navy. It was, it was predominantly Navy uh, families. And they went, oh, yeah, you know, been in the forces 20 years. Oh, yeah. It's the first time we've lived in a married quarter. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the first time we've lived in a married quarter. Right, okay. It's the first time we've lived in a, 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 a community like this. What, in 20 years? Yeah, because they've never done it. Because it, that independent existence was that that wasn't the case. So uh, for them, that was the complete opposite. They went through a culture shock to go into that environment. And I was like, going, yay, I'm home. This is cool. This is excellent. Come on, kids. Let's go and go to the swim pool and go and meet up with everyone. Let's go to the beach. <laughs> All that socialising sounds exhausting. I get it, though. My girlfriend would be having, I tell you, when, she was, when, when you were talking about uh, going house to house, that start at one place, main next, and then dessert next. I, I guarantee, uh, listening to this, her palms will be sweating at the thought of all that interaction with people. <laughs> in a good, uh, in a bad way. Bad way. Bad way. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, I was, was going for yeah. up. It's absolutely. It does sound exhausting. I see. I, it sounds cool. It does sound cool. Um, it, like once. In my lifetime, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but it depends on needs, doesn't it? It's like I understand it, and especially. Uh, you, in, a, in an environment where you don't, you know, where you have to force that interaction, like you're saying on, on the army pads, this is, doesn't happen, does it? I, mm, no, cause and we, it varies from unit to unit. It does. It? I was going to say, I mean, that, that's where that's that's one of the key. You know, that 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 successful unit, that that really cohesive unit, has a good active patch where people are thing because that if people are having problems that the you know the regimental family clangs in and go right okay we'll help you out we'll do your garden for you you know your, hus your husband's away at Brecon fine okay let's let's get you sorted out you've got problems okay let's you know let's it they'll look after your kids we'll go shopping kind of thing yeah you know it, it, it's that kind of interaction which we're used to but as I say the navy doesn't do that and the RAF falls somewhere in between I'm really, it's really, it's really, I'm really trying to understand why the Navy's like that. I'm sure, do you reckon it's got something to do with, and I am, I'm, I'm just guesstimating here, it's just pure speculation, but I would have thought that people who join the Royal Navy are from more affluent backgrounds than people who would say join the Army. No, do you reckon? No. Is that no experience? And I just thrown that out there. I've got no idea if that's true or not. No, uh, I, I wouldn't say so. Um, You've got people from, and it was a big general, yeah, 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 absolutely yeah. massive generalization as well. Because I know that's not the case yeah. with with you know friends I've got. 
No, it, it is. It's just this independent nature, you know, from the from the lowest A B upwards, you know. And this is this one of the things, you know. And I'm sure uh, Gavin that will sort of back it up, you know. Th this whole thing about you, know, you are encouraged to go out and buy, you know, invest in property, because you're going away for nine months. You've got a bank load of money, so you turn around and go, right, okay, yeah, fine, you know, bank load of money, buy a flat because it's because it's a solid investment. But then you've got your your home. You've got something that you can invest in. But they do it at a very early age. Whereas we, as junior soldiers, would be told, "Oh, look, it's Thursday night. Here's Colchester. Here's the Hippodrome. Go." And probably we are more prone to getting moved about. Whereas are the Royal Navy less so? Uh, I'm, I'm still trying to find answers here. No, I was going to say the one for that is now that's you've got me. I. I I understand the home port rule. I don't necessarily understand the career profile of what? you staying on anti-submarine warfare frigates for your entire career. I don't. I don't quite. I. I. What is the home port rule? The home port rule, as I understand it, and I'm sure a million people will turn around and go, "No, Hallsworth, you've got that completely wrong." But it's effectively that you say that you are going to be based predominantly in your career at. Portsmouth or Plymouth or you're a submariner you're going to spend 90% of your time at Faz Lane so you buy a house in Faz Lane because that's where you're going to be yes you might get posted to PJHQ you might get posted to <coughs> Navy Command all those kind of things but predominantly you're going to be in place whichever one of those three um, so you can elect to say right I am staying in so if you're allocated a quarter you say right I am my home base is Portsmouth. So if you get a posting then to PJHQ, say, you can retain and your family can stay in Portsmouth and you commute on a weekly basis. And this is uh, one of the things that I found, and this is going back to when I was in service. You know, I was at, uh, my last job was at the Department of Officer Training at uh, Keogh Barracks in Aldershot. Tri-service environment, officer training, you know, RAF, Navy, army and you get to like going, oh look it's friday afternoon and they're out of here and it was wacky races because you know navy um i don't need to be here on a weekend i don't live here uh, my family's down in portsmouth thanks very much boom gone and that was it they were gone and they'd be back monday morning and you wouldn't see them hmm. um because that's their home part so that's where so it means that the the individual moves but the family stays but so you've got continuity and you know the, the whole discussion about continuity of education all that kind of thing but if you're invested in a particular area uh, if you're in your own house fine if you're not if you're in married quarters fine because you're still going to go if you were promoted and you were entitled to a different quarter you just go okay well you're going to move from quarter a to quarter b but you're still going to be in Portsmouth you're still going to your kids are still going to go to that school that they're already going to so it, it sort of works I understand it but my, the bit where I'd say I don't necessarily understand is, right, okay, so you're a, a, a weapons specialist and you work on air defence. So you're on Type 45 destroyers. That's it. Well, Portsmouth is your home base because Type 45s don't work out of anywhere else. They work out of Portsmouth. Okay, fine. I can see where you would then invest in yourself going, even if I get posted to rally as an instructor, my, I'm going to come, I know, because this is my trade, I'm coming back to Portsmouth because I'm going to work on that type of ship predominantly. So they, you know, if you said 50% of your career is going to be here. I suppose, 
I don't think it would work in the army, in my mind, apart from one or two units. Um, yours being the prime example. You are Parridge, you are going to predominantly spend your time working out of that garrison. Yes, you might get posted away to Catrick, or you might get posted to being an instructor in Brecon, but you're going to come back to Colchester, and then you can get posted out again, and then you're going to come back to Colchester. Yeah, you're right. I could see it work. But, of, uh, but, SFSG, yeah, but it wouldn't work across the whole of the army. Hmm. And yeah. I suppose you could say that with the RAF, now that it's narrowed down its fleets kind of thing that you could turn around it, it, it sort of and in fact the RAF were sort of doing it because you know a lot of people have bought property at the airbase where they're likely to be working or if they're not working they're only going to be away for one job and then they're going to come back so I don't know but yeah that's there you go taking you one stage further in your understanding of the senior service Gav given this good book Jack speak have you seen this yeah oh have many have two copies right, have you <laughs> What, one one signed by the man himself. By who? Oh, Rick Jolly. Oh, Rick, oh, I didn't even feel it by Rick Jolly. Very good. Checking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Strange beasts. Medi medical services. With, yeah. Strange creatures. Strange creatures. Royal Navy. Definitely. It, it, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, I was going to say, it's interesting being, <laughs> uh, obviously being a Pongo in amongst all the Matlows, because that shows. Being where? What? Being ex-army, being amongst the navy. Oh, especially uh, I think yeah, Gibraltar was good because the command structure out there is predominantly navy. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I speak army. Uh, I'm not fluent in navy at all. What's that boat doing there? Shut up! <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've learned that one. Yeah, but it's cool. The one, that, the one that always confused me was was uh, the naming the naming convention of bases. HMS and hey, I can't even remember them all now. Simon and Gav briefed me up, tried to explain it all to me. Her, Her Majesty's, Her Majesty's, you get, you, oh, I can't remember. I can't even remember. My, my mind's gone blank. You get port, you get ports, you get, oh, that's right, yeah, you get ports, you get bases. Ports, bases, and something else, and something else is all of it, all of it weird. Anyway, anyway, because I don't know what I'm talking about. They, they go, I'll, again, I'll get, a, I'll get a phone call after yeah. this podcast. The only one I ever think was the, the thing about the the shields and the shapes of the shields, but that's about it. And what I is that? Uh, go on, the, the blow my mind on this one. <laughs> uh, because you, your ships, your ships' crests determine what you know. The round ones are that. The diamond ones are bases, and something else is uh, that one is an RFA. Diamond is a base. Oh, yeah, I don't know them all. Oh my god, it's good fun. How, um, how have you found? Uh, What's your journey to business like? Did you have a background in in business at all? Ever set up any company before? Yes, and it's. Uh... Sorry, get told off again. Oh, if I touch your microphone, you I'll let you get away with it for about oh. twenty minutes now. Okay. Oh. I feel like Casper the dog on TikTok. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Um, yeah, so when I left the army in very late 2004, um, uh, apart from being very disillusioned when I left the army, which I was, because uh, in effect I didn't want to leave, 
So it was, oh, I'm going to do something. What am I going to do? Well, I'm invincible. I can do anything because the army's told me I'm invincible and I can do anything. So I bought a pub. What a great idea that was. What, what? Bought a pub. Oh, my God. And so, uh, you know, and that was my resettlement. So I did my pub management course and I was getting myself sorted out. Uh, I was also getting myself out of a relationship and into one with Kay. Uh, and I had a flat in Aldershot with the ex-girlfriend. Uh, but we went, you know, we'd go to this, right, okay, I'm going to buy a pub. And we found a pub, and I did the business plan, and I did the business case, and I'd had a meeting with the brewery. Uh, I won't mention which brewery it was. Um, and we had this meeting, and it was a very positive meeting, and it was like, uh, and the idea was, this was in, so this was the last week in November. Uh, in fact, it could have, I think it was, I think it must have been something like the 30th of November. Uh, and that was on a Tuesday. And um, the idea was that this pub was a bit run down, a bit rack and ruin. I said, okay, well, I need to get my life sorted out. I need to get my flat sold. I need to get all my money into place. So I'm looking at taking over this pub 1st of April. And they're like, going, yeah, it's a good idea. It gives us a good, good handover. But the person who's running it at the moment has another pub in town. They're fine. We've worked with them for years. We understand. They'll keep this tumbling along. It's in Aldershot. No, this was in uh, Cheshire in Buckinghamshire. Okay. So uh, that was the plan. So I had, a, if you said, a four-month, well, three-month running that I would start taking over the pub at the start of March for a formal takeover on the 1st of April. That was on Tuesday. On the Thursday, uh, 10 to 5 in the evening, I get a phone call from the area manager from the brewery. Yeah, um, you know that plan? Uh, it's changed slightly. Um, we've just been handed the keys to the pub. Uh, the the person who owns a lease on it now has basically thrown the keys at us and walked away. How soon can you be in the pub? And I'm like going, God, I've no idea. Um, well, you know, I, I still need to, you know, I've got to get flats on. I'm, I'm not really in a position to do this. How about Monday? <laughs> And me being me, I'm invincible, I can do anything. So I went, okay then, but you've got to understand X, Y, and Z. And so we took over the pub on the Monday with no money, no plan, no equipment, nothing. Literally, I just turned up with a car full of stuff that I'd emptied out of the flat in Aldershot and was like, right, let's go. So that was, was, it a, was it an operating pub? It was an operating oh, okay. pub. So it wasn't. How big? What kind of pub is it? A backstreet local. Okay, what kind Real of area? Proper like rural? Like uh, no, Chesham is on the very end of the Metropolitan Line. Oh, um, so it's in the centre then? Um, no, it's at the very end of the Metropolitan Line, but it's just as you go into the Chilterns and into the outer Hertfordshire oh, wow. kind of area. Metropolitan Line? Yeah, so it's uh, Chesham. Fucking uh, Ch Chesham. Mate, I thought he was saying Cheshire. No, not Cheshire. I thought he was saying Cheshire. No, that's where I'm... That's my hearing. These headphones. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we did this, and the f as I said, that first couple of days was just utterly manic because it was just in it was in shit state. There's, there's no other way to describe it. It really had been left to go. It was being run by an idiot. So you're like, okay, right, fine. Um, but
But the, the realistic thing was we went into that pub on the back foot with no money. So we were in debt from day one and we chased and chased and chased our tails. And silly things like, you know, you would have thought a pub to do food. Well, actually, to do that, we need to get the kitchen sorted out. The kitchen, when we moved in, was effectively a domestic kitchen. It would have passed no hygiene tests whatsoever. And the brewery's like, oh, oh yeah, but you could do sandwiches. I'm like, going, no, you can't. Oh, you could do hot pots. No, you can't. I could do one-off events. I've spoken to Environment Health. We can do one-off events kind of thing. But realistically, on a, on, a, on a daily basis, we can't. Do you understand this? No. I'm going to have to strip, gut, rebuild the kitchen completely. Can you help? Oh, no, there's no money in the budget for that. Okay, fine. And this is a leasehold pub, so I'm responsible for all the fixtures and fittings. You've got, no, you've got no way you can help me out. No. Okay, fine. So we were in the pub. We were in the pub for just shy of two years. But we got to a point where we effectively ran out of... Not so much we ran out of money, we ran out of cash. And you've got debt collectors at the door, you've got, you owe X amount in council tax because you haven't paid it. You haven't done your VAT returns because you haven't got an accountant because you couldn't afford an accountant. It, all of that kind of stuff. There's me thinking, I can do everything, I can do everything. Quite obviously, I can't. And in true bloke fashion, had I turned to anyone else for help? No, of course I hadn't. I'd kept it from Kay, I kept it from my family, I kept it from my friends. I was just working like 10 men in the background, juggling 90 million plates in the air and trying to keep everything up. Eventually, it tumbled. And uh, you then go through that process of uh, bankruptcy uh, and losing everything. So that was it, the flat in all the shot, the, all the bits and pieces, you know, everything gone in a heartbeat but actually in some respect that the day that that happened it was like the weight of the world had been taken off my shoulders be like i don't have to worry about it anymore and i remember having to go up to um the government agency that deals with uh bankruptcy i can't remember what it's called uh was it uh, the insolvency agency and it's at st albans and i remember going into their office with like sheaves of paperwork and so I sat down at this desk, put all this on the desk, and he's like, going, right. And he, he was very personal. He was, he was you know, I want to say he was, about, he was about 10 years older than me. He was like, look, Neil, that's it. It's over. You don't have to worry about this anymore because it's not your problem anymore. Do not worry about people knocking at your door. Do not worry about this. Do not worry about that. It's over. Nothing can hurt you now. He's like, oh. Oh, Okay. And then you sit there and you go through all the process and you fill in all the paperwork and who, well, who do you owe? I owe money to him and I owe money to them and I owe, and that and that. Okay, what are your assets? Right, I haven't got any. I've got a pub, <coughs> but the but you know the the brewery's taken that. You know the 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 ten thousand pound deposit I gave to the brewery they've kept. Not that they needed the ten. They could have given me the ten thousand pound back and I could pay all this debt. They don't need it. They've still got the building. That kind of thing. So like, oh, okay. So I'd I'd been through that business process before. Now, actually, it wasn't all that bad because we had taken that pub from less than a thousand pound a week turnover to three and a half thousand pound turnover on a pub just selling beer, not selling food, anything like that, because we didn't have it because we were in the process. I'd I'd spent twelve grand on the kitchen, having to have it stripped 
gutted, rewired, extractor, system, stainless steel fittings, plastering, tiling, rebuild, the works. We were literally that close to getting the kitchen up and operational. But as I said, it was just, we literally run out of cash. So, but we, as, as a business, the, the, the positive you took out of it was we took this business from a grand a week to three and a half grand a week selling beer. So clearly sales I was good at. The front of house stuff I was good at. The back of house stuff, I was crap. And I, could, and I can turn around, at the time, I didn't want to admit I was crap. Now I can turn around and go, oh no, boy, boy I was crap. I, I sucked really badly. But as, a, as an experience, uh, it, stood me, it, it stood me in good stead. Now I said at that point, I would never run a business ever again. I would never take it on, on my head ever again. If I'm going to work, I'll work for someone else. So I don't have that stress, worry, pressure on me because I just don't want it. And here we are, <laughs> 14 years later, in a completely different scenario. Um, but the, the difference this time around is, is I had that experience behind me. I had the, that life lesson behind me. And therefore, I was much more knowledgeable about what I was doing. And this time around, this time around we had, uh, there was a bit more in the tank in regards to, rather than just going through the process of writing a business plan, this time I properly wrote a business plan and I understood it and we had interrogated it and we had tested it and we had researched it 10 times more. It took 10 times longer. Um, but at least this time round, it was, we, we had a much better understanding. Uh, fundamental difference this time round was I was not going to be a sole trader, we were going to be a limited company. You know, that was lesson learned from the pub. We're definitely going down that line um, for that protection against anything bad happening. We had to go down. We we were going down that line. I would never. I wouldn't do sole trader. It wasn't right for us at the time. It doesn't suit the business. Sole trader is very useful in other circumstances. There are other people where that is much more applicable. And I and I would recommend them to do it, but understand what you they are doing, kind of thing. Um, and I think that was really brought time. So when. I was fortunate enough to get a place on the uh, X-Forces Enterprises um, Military Spouses Business Course uh, or Introduction to Business or Introduction to Running Your Own Business uh, course that they ran. Um, and by the time I went on that course, we had 90% of the business plan was in there. And we sort of think, I used that course as the method to interrogate everything that we had bounce ideas off similar like-minded people, uh, made some useful contacts, and it developed the idea in, as to what we were going to do. Um, and, uh, and that propelled us forward to actually go forward and launch the business. But it was, I mean, the whole process, as a, the thought process before starting the business was a good 12 months of plan, 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 plan. We've got, because that event start yeah. that slide, so we've got about another five, five ten minutes, I reckon, yeah. but... Tell me um, how, so sorry, when did you start Explore Coffees, what year? Uh, it formally started trading June 2018. Okay, cool. So 
the landscape's changed a lot over that time, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of competition, I'm guessing, especially competition from veteran-owned brands. Uh, well, yeah, competition, yep. yeah. But you, but you don't market yourselves as a towards the veteran community, do you? You were more general in the way you market yourselves, right? I, I don't think I even realised you were a veteran-owned brand until we ended up having a conversation. Someone said you were veteran-owned. Yeah. VO UK, yeah. actually, when we had a conversation, God, a couple of years back now, last year it was. Yeah about um business uh so yeah how, how do you find it a positive thing generally for business that there's more there's more brands out there similar to yours just in that the veteran owned um because it can be a positive thing right when there's more competition and obviously competition drives you know quality right but also um it in certain circumstances, it actually attracts more people to your market who otherwise wouldn't have been, for example, coffee buyers. I've only become a coffee buyer. Well, at the moment, I'm on decaf. Right? I still buy it because it's veteran and I give it away and stuff like that. But I only became someone who started buying coffee, like proper coffee, because I was introduced to Green Beret coffee, for example. I yeah. discovered all, all the rest. Now I've owned bags of contact coffee, Explorer coffee, Hidden Warriors have got a bag of that there, you know, all those. And that only happened because I was exposed to one of the brands and now I buy from them all, if that makes sense. Is that is that how you see it or not? Yeah, I, it, it was interesting because it's one of those that goes back to that whole thing about business funding is we, it was that research. Now any business sort of goes, right, here's my product. Where am I going to market it? And what I very much looked at was to go, actually... There is a demographic within this this veteran thing, and there's a lot of veteran brands owned. Well, that's fine. I don't necessarily need to cater for that market because they've got it covered. But there is a lot of scope for artisan hand-roasted coffee in the wider world. Now, actually, my background in the wider world was uh, hill walking, climbing, Land Rovers, the, the whole outdoor pursuit. So he went, well, actually, if we steer away from uh, the, the military-style branding and we go towards something else, I can, I can sit and I can, t I can target that demographic. I can target that niche. And I think that's worked quite well. So from a branding perspective, I think that's worked quite well. Within that veteran-owned community uh, and military spouses, uh, and, in fact, there's, uh, there's a couple, actually, that've, who are serving personnel who are in that sphere as well. Um, so uh, Alex at Tactical T is still serving uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. and I want to say is it not Danger Close Coffee uh, Down the Range Coffee he's just I think he's just finished service uh, and he was doing it as if he said as a an interim as he was going through that resettlement process and he's now pretty much now he's full time so uh, you know th there's all scopes there so but what there is is the way that the coffee industry has gone is there are there is a big market for it you, just a case of who you who your demographic who are you pitching at what is your sales base and i'd like to think that actually we've got a couple of sales bases so we've got that outdoor uh explorer adventure piece uh with the links of being a military spouse that you know we've got the military spouse network to sort of fall back on Thanks to the ability, because I produce everything myself, I can produce bespoke labelled goods, so therefore we've got uh, trade and commercial 
covered. So actually, I'm not just targeting one demographic and putting all my eggs in one basket. I've got lots of baskets in front of me that I can pick and serve as we go. So I've actually diversified the the, the customer elements across the board. And, and I think there's a, there's a lot of that out there that there's still, and growth within the coffee market itself is still accelerating. Uh, what is uh, was starting to become apparent even before COVID was that people were starting to shy away from uh, the more uh, corporate brands, uh, the high street brands. People were starting to move away from that in the same way, similar to uh, gin and rum, whereas actually they don't want to drink Gordon's gin anymore they want to have this gin from Cornwall they want that gin from Kent and they want to vary between different types and the coffee industry has gone the same way so people don't just want to buy a well-known high street brand of coffee they want to buy two or three different types do you think that that move towards not, not yeah that sort of move away from like you said the high street brands that in the shop brands, do you think that's um, that's a product of or a byproduct of uh, products being more accessible, rare product or not uh, not readily available products in the shop being more accessible because of things like online sales, because of things like internet searches? Because you reckon it's that? Does that? Yeah, because that's and that's a really good development for small businesses, right? If that's the case. It, it is, but then the other, the flip side of that is then what happens with the high street? Uh, well, that, I mean, that's going to go the way of the dodo, right? In some ways, it's not going to be the same thing in 10 years' time. It's going to be, I would, I would, I'd, well, I would expect it would probably going to be more you know, independent, independently owned shops, right? As opposed to more more of those, but have to be operating a different business model. The yeah. way, the way, the way landlords and you know and companies who have properties to rent out they're going to have to change their way to do things to make things more affordable it's some it's all going to change significantly i think it is a question of how yeah how. yes and i don't and think the pandemic's accelerated that as well it has I and i don't think we've got quite to the how yet um, shorter leases shorter term leases more moving about maybe it could be like you go and have a breakfast somewhere you're gonna have your starter somewhere and you have yeah. your, your main you have your dessert someone else's house i, I was gonna say i mean <laughs> I, I know it, it could be um but I, th- I think there will be i think there's a couple of things that probably have to change one of them i think the key one is going to be taxation um but there doesn't seem to be a there doesn't seem to be a direction from either government or opposition to say here's a taxation solution that solves the problem of the high street taking on the internet. That, that, that solution hasn't even been proffered yet. I, I don't see anything that's been offered as a solution. So I think that's got to change. And I think the other one that's got to change is actually with regards to the, you know, the physicality of the buildings that I think the days of high rent, high rates are dead. And the, the the change has got to come, and I, and this is not just me because this is what I want to happen, even though it is, um, is that there's going to have to be moved. Like you said about you, you talk about independent shops. To go with that, there has got to be some form of ownership, because people cannot pay high x thousand pound a month rent 
on a high street property. And in fact, I'll, I'll give you an example because there's one just come up by us and it sort of, sort of plays in with what's happened with the high street. Um, so obviously Burton's has gone. Uh, one of the reasons that they cited was that part of that business model with, uh, Burton was part of Arcadia, wasn't it? I can't remember. Um, but one of the, the common things that's been cited, you know, we, we tried to renegotiate the rents and it didn't happen and we can't afford the rents. Well, the actual building that Burton has sat in, 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 in Gosport, has now been put on the market. Well, it's been put on the market at probably less than what the housing market is in that area. You, you, can't, you, can, you can't buy a, a detached house for that price. And yet there's high street property that Burton's was in that you could buy outright freehold for 450,000. You know, that, that's house territory. So why were they paying two and a half thousand, three thousand, four thousand pound a month rent against that? Yeah, weird, isn't it? There's a place, there's a pub in. It's, it is weird the way it works. It's so, it's just like you say, it's outdated. There's a place in uh, uh, in, in Warwick actually, and um, good friends run it. It's a pub. I won't, I won't name the pub, and I won't name the people, right? But this place has got. In fact, they took it over right at the start of the pandemic. Oh my god. Honest to say, we just had like a year and a half of just nightmare, yeah. nightmare, um, and obviously you know the feeling of taking over a, a place and going and yep. having no money, right? Um, but this place, huge building, huge building, right? Two floors. Are they allowed to do any monetize the top floor at all? Are they? Hell, they're not allowed to do it. And they got space upstairs, right? You could have another bar up there. You could uh, you could rent out rooms. It's got a living area. You could have a com uh, like a you can have offices to rent out, meeting space to rent out, and they're not allowed to monetize it. What? Why? No. Where? Where? Why? Why? What's the reasons on that? But they're still being charged. I mean, oh, I mean exactly. I, bear in mind, I, I can go back to to my pub and go. You know, I was paying two thousand seven hundred pound a month in rent, and that was. 16 years that was 16 years ago mate we're getting into a lead we're getting into a leading minds episode now Ooh. so you're going to be a future leading minds it's uh I'm, the noise is going to start outside in a minute i don't want to be caught up in that uh that's the rain you want you it's raining you in the studio folks uh you oh. want you it's raining outside but it's not but when there's so for people listening or watching uh, the studio is located at old lemontonians rsc old lemontonians rsc uh rejuvenated re renovated did a load of work improvement work on their bar and their whole clubhouse actually and today is the 17th of uh may it is apparently people, people can get <laughs> and people can go inside to clubs again can't have pubs and stuff so ols have got a um olrc i've got a, a grand opening ceremony starting shortly but it also gives an opportunity neil to go and you can meet John face to face. I can actually. indeed. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Lovely to be here. Tell me about um, a website for people, Explorer Coffees, anything else you want to mention? Shameless plug opportunity. Mate. Shameless plug opportunity. Okay, so explorercoffees.com, uh, where you can order uh, hand roasted coffee, hand roasted by yours truly, and traveller's tea and Ranger's hot chocolate. Uh, and we also have our clothing uh, division, EC Clothing, which is uh, active wear and casual wear. And coming in the next couple of weeks, probably by the time this hits the airwaves, our tech clothing uh, piece will be up and running. And we also have a, another division called the Expedition and Campaign Stores, heading up, headed up by the QM. Uh, which is uh, luggage and camping and adventure accessories as well, all under one roof, all on one website, www.explorercoffees.com.
Perfect. Perfect. You are good at sales. Might <laughs> <laughs> have been a pleasure. No, Andy. We'll do it again for Leading Minds. We will indeed. Cheers, dude. That's it. Thank you for listening to the HR Podcast. You can become a patron of HR by going to patreon.com forward slash Podcasts. You can get into um, uh, uh, the... Oh, what is it? Oh, yeah, the Discord. <coughs> so I've got the name. I just coughed on mic as well. I've got the name. I've only just recently set up... This is a, there's a public Discord group where you can... Uh, you can it's Discord's an app. I'll stop talking. I won't stop talking. I'm going to sponsorship plugs. Go onto the website, right, and 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 you'll find the link to to join the Discord group. Get in there, and it's all it's HR podcast supporters having good good chat, good networking, good banter. Uh, what else? What else is there? What else is there? That's it. Thank you to the sponsors again for this podcast. DevSoc, the Development Society, a community of people who want to be better than they were yesterday. If you want to, you if you want to improve yourself. DevSoc is a good place to start. Go to the developmentsociety.co.uk. Sign up for the Daily Waves newsletter. Also sponsoring the podcast with the Aardvark Group. They operate in post-conflict areas. They clear the world of dodgy stuff, landmines, unexploded ordnance, etc. And they, uh, they, they protect and manage territories, borders, assets, and people for a global customer base. They also have a shop. Where you can, if you're a kind of person who, or if you're in an industry where you work in post-conflict zones, you can go on the, on the shop at aardvark.group and pick up some kit that you may need. Trauma packs, individual first aid kits, and also you get a free patch from them. Aardvark patch in the process. I like the patches. I've got them on my wall. And then finally, Rugby for Heroes were sponsoring this podcast. They've got an event on the 14th of, no, 26th of June. And at that event, it's going to be the Forces Barbarians. It's going to be the Pacific, Island, Pacific Islanders Rugby Club. It's going to be a lot of ex-military people. It's going to be a lot of ex-podcast guests. Mike, the guy who runs Rugby for Heroes, he'll be there. There'll be beer. There'll be gin. There'll be food. They will be good times. 26th of June, head over to Rugby for Heroes, so at Rugby Number 4 Heroes, to get the Eventbrite link to sign up for your free tickets. It's free. That's it. See you there. Until the next time. Out. <laughs>